Um, today we are in our second to last message um, in our series upon this rock. We've been talking about the church and over the last uh, two weeks specifically in this series on the church, we've focused in on the um, vinyl lettering that's above, it's on the header as you walk in the building. It's our motto as a church. It's on our church letterhead, but <clears throat> I'll say it like this. I really truly believe that God is giving us an opportunity just like he did in the Old Testament. He says, that's great and all that you've got my law, but I want it written on your heart. In other words, like there's scrolls, there's there's tablets, there's this and that. But the important thing is actually getting it inside you. And so here, not that we're elevating our motto for our church to the word of God, but we have picked those things based on things in God's word that are helpful. And I would love for us as a church to activate and live out those three things. So the first part of um, this little mini-series inside the church series has been we did uh, Loving All, and then the next one was Impacting Our World. And today we're going to talk about that third statement, which is to grow together, growing together. Um, next weekend will be uh, the finale of this series, the, the last message in this series. And I'm just telling you right now, what God has been speaking to me is powerful and you don't want to miss it. If you're going to be out of town or something and you've never listened to the podcast message replay, you need to do that next Monday or Tuesday. The word that God has given me is an awesome word for us individually as a church. And I believe it really will be the most important message of the series. It might even be the most important message you hear this entire year. Um, I believe God has something divinely ordered for us as a church. Amen. Um, turn with me in your Bibles this morning. We're going to talk about growing together. We're going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 11. Let me give you just a tiny bit of insight and context for what you're going to read here, what we'll read together. Uh, the Thessalonian church... Um, uh, seems to be doing good on several different accounts, and there's some area or room for improvement in others. Um, we just went and saw our, our children um, participate, uh, one of our ch children, participate in show choir um, this past weekend, and uh, they got second, second place, which that's awesome. They placed you could walk away from that, and maybe you remember from the days that you played sports or anything else or were in some sort of competition. You could walk away from that and get really down on yourself because you didn't get first. Let me just say to you, though, even those who win first have room for improvement. Can I get an amen? So let me put that into application for us as a church even if we're doing really well in a handful of areas, even though the church at Thessalonica was doing well, there's always areas, room for improvement. So think about that as we read verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. So Paul wants to come and visit them. Verse 12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all 
as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. There's something interesting there, um, which is the um, presence of both God the Father and the Lord Jesus. Paul is making a theological declaration saying that they are our God. Amen. And so he says something which I really want to focus on in verse 12. He says, and may the Lord, it's a prayer, a blessing towards them. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. I think um, it's important that we understand this concept of what God's love should look like within the context of the church, but also to the world outside. And Paul's praying and saying, may your love increase and abound. Skip to chapter 4 in 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 4, he says this in verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. So what is he saying? You've got top place, first place. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you brothers, brothers, you're doing great. Sisters, you're doing great. Love one another, but do this more and more. In other words, don't give up. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Verse 11 says this. I love his writing. He says, You should try to live quietly, aspire to live a quiet life, and mind your business, (laughs) okay? Do something with your hands, you know, profitable, work with your hands as we instructed you, and then look at what he says in verse 12, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians are wonderful letters that were written. And I think it's important as we look at that today that we talk through what love, what role love plays in growing together. So there are probably a solid dozen spiritual disciplines that the church talks about based on scriptural evidence of things that you're supposed to do as a believer. If I were to say I'm going to walk through the audience today with a microphone like you know, a talk show host and have you stand and tell me one, I'm sure we'd get at least a dozen. We might even get more than that. I want to give you what I believe and see in scripture are really priorities of a top five spiritual disciplines. So if you're taking notes today, write these top five spiritual disciplines down. Reading God's word. It is of the utmost important. It's top of the list. If you want to know God, you must read his word and study it. Amen? I better have one more than one. Amen? If you want to know the God of the Bible, you've just got to read his word. Amen? Then the second one is very important, and that is prayer. The third is worship. You may not be a good singer. You may not be able to carry a tune in a bucket. You may not love every song that gets picked. You may miss some songs that are sentimental to you. But by God, you better not hold back your praise from God. Amen? 
And you ought to do it. Do it in the car. Do it as you're walking, taking a walk in the neighborhood. Worship the Lord through song, through prayer, through reading. Number four is fellowship. That's fellowship with believers. It's been said for many generations, all the ones I've been around for, like many decades, I should say, not generations. I'm not that old. Um, I've been around for a couple decades, though. And um, I will tell you this. Uh, I've heard it. I heard it when I was a child, people telling my parents who were in ministry. And I've heard it myself in ministry. And that is this. Oh, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. To be a healthy one, you do. I know you believe that because you're here today, but share this message with a friend. Amen. So fellowship is important. And the fifth in the top five is love. Others could, that could be included would be things like tithes and offering, um, serving. You know, there's a bunch of different aspects of spiritual disciplines that we need to actively be doing. But let me highlight number five for just a moment, like Paul does in First Thessalonians. When he says making your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, it is so important. I listed number five for it at number five in order uh, of importance, at least the way that I can uh, communicate it to you today. Because here's what I'll tell you. You cannot love your brothers and sisters in Christ or your neighbors if you aren't in God's word. If you don't know the God of the Bible. If you're not praying, if you're not worshiping, if you're not fellowshipping by spending time with your faith family, you can't love your neighbor unless you've learned to love your faith family first. You say, well, pastor, that sounds exclusionary. No, it's progressive, not politics wise, but it's a progressive thing. If we do it well here, we'll do it better out there. Amen. So, and the Bible's clear about this, that we're to love one another. And we've talked about that in this series, but I really do believe that the church is a school where we get to practice and learn what love is. And I, I hope I get a loud amen when I say this contrasting phrase. Love is beautiful, but love is hard. We understand what love, human love is, and we think it's a beautiful thing. I've been to many weddings. It's a beautiful thing. But it's also hard. I've been in counseling sessions with people who are experiencing hardship. Uh, I've been in them. My wife and I have been in them. Love is hard. So that's why we've got to do it, learn it well, and practice it in the body of Christ so that we can then demonstrate that to the world. Because we're commanded to love and we should be modeling it really well within our faith family, experimenting here and then going out and demonstrating it to the world. So in the Thessalonian letters, Paul writes a lot about truth, but then he takes this portion of time to pause and to talk about love. I think he does this, I believe he does this, because he understood, and we should understand, that our faith is inseparable from love. 
Your faith in the God of the Bible is inseparable. You cannot separate it from God's love. In fact, the verse of the Bible that even heathens can say and speak from memory involves declaring the love of God. For God so loved. It's inseparable. And so we've got to practice it well. That's like a key ingredient, but we've really got to read his word, pray, all those things before we can ever actually do that fifth one, which is love. So authentic love demonstrated will always include truth. It's not your truth or my truth, which is just code language in the world for my experience and your experience. My feelings and your feelings. My way and your way. My choice and your choice. It has nothing to do when they say, well, that's, let me just speak my truth. Why don't you just shut your mouth and read God's truth? That, that's, um, I'm feeling bold today. Okay. I'm preaching it for somebody who's not here. Hallelujah. Um, let me just say it like this though. Authentic love when it's demonstrated will always involve truth. I shared um, about the uh, the uh, potential scenario in my life and marriage. Would my wife still love me, you know, if I didn't bathe for several days? Sure. And then she said, from a distance. Here's where the rubber meets the road. And that is this. If I love her, I'll shower. <laughs> Come on. Can I get a, I got a loud amen from somebody who... Who knows somebody who needs a shower. Okay. Um, but I'll shower because I love her. Even if it's inconvenient or, you know, I don't want to do it. I'm lazy, whatever. And she will tell me the truth that I need to shower because she loves me. So our faith is inseparable from love. But really, our love cannot be separated from truth. John Stott, um, he's an amazing character. You should, you should investigate if you're ever into reading things that are written by wonderful people. John Stott, S-T-O-T-T. He was a chaplain for the Queen of England. He was a professor. He, he had so many different varied roles in ministry. Um, he said something that was so profound and truthful. He says about love and truth, he says it this way. Truth is hard if it's not softened by love. And love is soft if it's not strengthened by the truth. Those words are words to live by. Truth is hard if it's not softened by love. I I said to somebody the other day, talking about a situation that they're facing. I said, well, do you have a relationship with this person? Because if you go to correct someone who you have no relationship with, they're just going to have it go in one ear and out the other. But if I love you and I pull you to the side and I say, you know, I I noticed this and I really think that God has some room for you to work and improve on this. If I were to do that as a brother in Christ to you, because I have relationship, then we're growing together. 
There are lots of people that want to go to churches and check in real quick and check out real quick and not really build any relationships because they don't like the idea of that. There is a real enemy. There is a real enemy and his army. They are at war against the kingdom of God. It's been said this way, and I really do believe this. That he is an intelligent enemy and he's too smart to fight Christianity, authentic Christianity head on. So what he's made his mission and his goal over these last centuries has been to instead produce a counterfeit Christianity. So much like the real one that good Christians are afraid to speak about it. You're going to have to rewind the tape to hear that again. I'm telling you, I faced it this week. I got into a battle and you know, if you're fr- Facebook friends with me, you, <laughs> you know, I don't get into battles on Facebook. I don't think it's, you know, healthy and good to just have all of that out there. And people have opinions. Listen, I have opinions about everything, about the temperature in the room and the color of the paint. And the, I've got opinions about what I want to eat for lunch next week, if you ask me. I've got opinion. I'm an opinionated person. So you should be, you should be thankful. Shut up. No, I'm just kidding. You should be thankful. You should be thankful that I don't share all of my opinions on Facebook. Cause I'd either lose all my friends or be out of a job or, but there's something that happened in the world. And some of you are laughing with knowledge because you, you saw the post. Maybe you chimed in on it. I got plenty of hate for the post. But I thought it was important to stand up for the truth that the gospel was not presented during the Super Bowl in that ad. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It really wasn't. Now, you can talk about 70 different ways to Sunday about, you know, what they did and was it good and this and that. But I'm telling you. The enemy of God has been seeking for a very long time to counterfeit something that is so close in resemblance to what authentic Christianity is that it causes people to stand there and say, "Mm, I probably shouldn't say anything about that. You should. You should because the truth is what reigns in God's kingdom. Amen. So let me just put it to you like this. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The system of this world is ever advancing to be able to shut us down, shut us out, shut us up. I'm telling you, stand up. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4, he says this in verse 15. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So listen to me, church. If I were to read this properly, not just the words that you see on your screen, but the true understanding beneath it is this. When I withdraw and I refuse to speak the truth in love, I leave you immature and disabled and dysfunctional. That means I don't really love you. And you don't really love me. Our faith is inseparable from love. And our love is inseparable from truth. 
Uh, here's my point about this little digression on love, which I think is very important. You have to grow yourself personally before you can grow together with others. I think we think or have thought, maybe you've been guilty of this too, that if I just check in on a Sunday morning, I'll get my dose for the week and I'll be fine. I'm telling you, that is not the way the kingdom of God is set up. The way that he has set it up says he wants your heart, your mind, your activities, your your direction in this life. He literally wants everything and some from you. And we have a hard time with that. But you can't grow yourself, or let me say it like this, you can't grow together well unless you are focused on growing yourself personally. And you have to grow together with those in your faith family first. It's great that you want to do some outreach and do something in the community, but but you better be top priority. You better have top priority of loving your faith family first. Amen? So let me quickly give you six practical ways besides love that we can grow together. The first one is this, grow together through the word of God. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16 says this, all scripture is God breathed or breathed out by God. It's profitable. It's beneficial for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. If you want to be righteous, I've been reading Proverbs. Proverbs is so great. It's so rich. I mean, you could literally read one verse and meditate on it for the entire day and get several things out of it. It's powerful, powerful stuff. But there's some contrast in there about the righteous and the wicked. And I keep looking at it going, well, it sounds like the wicked have a little bit of fun, but man, I really want to be righteous. That's the blessed life. That's the one approved by God. That's the one where he orders my steps. Well, it's connected to the word of God. It's connected to this understanding that scripture is profitable for me to correct me, to teach me. All of these things. So when we grow together as a, as believers, a body of believers, one of the things that we focus on, no matter what setting it is, we focus on the word of God. We had a men's breakfast a couple weekends ago. It was delicious. And we took time. We talked, talked shop, talk about work, talk about family. And we took time and talked about God. The ladies had an awesome time. I heard last night. Ladies, were you there last night? If you were, say, woo! Okay, there are several of you. Uh, I think Amy said 16 or 17 um, ladies were here and had a Galentine's party. And there was God in the mix. You have to think about this and understand that in your everyday life, you have the ability to grow in your faith. And that isn't dependent on a doctor giving you a pill once a week. That's dependent on you waking up, rubbing the sleep out of your eyes and saying, today, God, speak to me through your word. So grow, grow by yourself. You worry about yourself. Grow by yourself and grow together. Amen? The second thing is this. Grow together through prayer. Luke 18 verse 1. It says, really, it says this. 
Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. You ought always to pray and not lose heart. Prayer changes things. It can change the circumstance, but it can change you. It can change the heart of a person a thousand miles away, but it can very well change you. It can help you grow personally when you take time to pray. And when you do it together, your faith is enlarged. It's built. We offer that through Pray First. That's an opportunity for you. But praying with other members throughout the week, listen to me, not to go back to the Super Bowl commercial, but praying for other members... Our body, praying for them is important. If you think about somebody, and I told somebody that this morning. I said, I thought about you yesterday. And I thought, I wonder where so-and-so's been. I'm going to pray for that person. And I just, and I I had this weird sneaky suspicion I was going to bump into that person today. And I did. But I wanted to make sure that they knew that I prayed for them. You say, well, pastor, are you talking about your prayer life? Are you prideful? No, I'm trying to be a model for you. There's a reason. It's not because you're awesome and so creative, so loving and so generous that you thought of someone. It's the spirit of God that may very well want to encourage another human being that you have committed in covenant relationship to be part of the family. So text the prayer. My wife and I do that. We text each other prayers during the day. We'll text in the morning most often and say, Lord, bless you with wisdom and, you know, kindness and whatever and help you deal with those little booger picking kids as they run around the classroom climbing off the walls. You know, sometimes it's just a real casual prayer. Listen, y'all laughing because I'm talking about sixth graders, but I know there's people in this room that pick their nose. Okay. And I am one of them, and so are you. (laughs) Listen, pray. Pray. When And listen to me. I failed in this area. Okay, so I could hype myself up and, Woo, pastor, you prayed for somebody yesterday? You thought of them and prayed for them. Well, let me just tell you what else happened yesterday. The same day that I had a victory, I had a massive failure. Someone who is a member... (laughs) In our church. Happened to walk past me. And just with desperation. A look of desperation. Said. Pastor I need you to pray for me. I didn't think it was the time and the place. There's a lot of activity and busyness going on. And so I didn't just stop. And start shouting out to heaven. I should have. I failed to do so. So what I'm telling you right now is this, that when someone is bold enough to ask you to pray for them, don't say, I'll pray for you. Good luck. Stop in that moment. I do it 80% of the time, but I fail in that. And I'm telling you, if I fail and I get paid to do this job and talk about how to live your life, I know good and well you fail. It's getting quiet. Nobody shouted amen. Stop and pray. There are hurting people. There are hurting people that you have no idea what they are dealing with. And I've pretty much made a decision that if a child were to come up to me and say, PD, pastor, 
will you pray for my sick dog? I want to stop and pray for them. I want them to understand that my God hears me. Not because I'm so good or because I've earned it, but because he loves me and that he can answer and he has answered. So I want to be able to share that with them. I want you to live that way too. When somebody says or texts you, I got a text late last night, 11 o'clock at night. I need you to pray and told me a situation. I stopped what I was doing right then and I started to pray. We need to be responsive people and responsible enough to go to prayer. You don't have to be awesome in your articulation of faith and all those things. Don't let the devil shut you up and quench your faith. Pray for one another and grow together. Number three. We went from good news to worse news. Number three. We grow together through trials. Trials strengthen us, can strengthen us, and they can teach us. There are moments in your life that you have struggled and had a a heavy trial, a tribulation that was bigger than you thought you could possibly handle. And you looking now back at that can see the hand of God. You can see his provision. You can see how he brought you through. You can recognize that didn't defeat me. God is still on the throne. I am still his child. He loves me. It may not have turned out the exact way that you wanted to, but every trial has the ability to draw you closer to God. Uh, Joel Osteen's church, I think it was last weekend, had a shooting in the church building that hit the national news. Services were transitioning. It's a mega church. Uh, think what you want about Joel Osteen. I sure do. But there were people who were transitioning in the service from one to the next. So they were getting their cars and leaving and other people were coming. And somebody came in and shot inside of the church. So how's that possible? That That's crazy. Where's he pastored? One of them liberal towns? No, Texas. So that church is going to have some hard days to try to walk through the trial of what that looks like. Loss of life in the very building that you worship God is satanic. So I think to myself about potential for disaster. We pastored in Hawaii and I'll never forget young. You talk about green, uh, you know, newbie. You know, not knowing much about anything. And we're a few months into pastoring our first pastorate. And a wildfire broke out on the hillside that connected us and the high school. Our properties touched. Dry brush everywhere. And so much so that the helicopters were landing in our parking lot, the church parking lot and the street. And they were going, they were flying to the ocean a mile and a half away, scooping up water in gigantic buckets. The helicopter swooped in, pulled the water up and then went and dumped it. I'll never forget. I thought to myself, I'm standing there in the parking lot, looking at the fire as it's growing and the wind is pushing it further, closer to the building. And I thought, God, I can't handle this. <laughs> I've, I've only been here a little while. 
I do not know what to do. I will not know how to help these people if this trial comes right now. Lord, please. That was the desperation of my prayer. I didn't pray for the building. I didn't pray for anything else. I just said, God, I can't do this. And you know what? God was good. And those firemen helped. And we didn't have any damage to the building. But I imagine going through something like that would be considered a trial. You think about what you can experience as a church. You know, the health deterioration or death of a leader or a pillar in the church. Pastoral transitions when another pastor gets hired on or one uh, retires or leaves and exits. There's a lot of different things that are trials in the life of the church. But listen, you experiencing a personal trial means that we experience it too. When my wife and I experienced a miscarriage, you were there. Showing us the love of Jesus. We didn't know what to expect. We had never expected that. We never anticipated it. It happened after two healthy children were born and and raising them. We had no ideas. And the people of God got us through. And you didn't just do it for us. There are other testimonies. But I won't say those because they're private for your own sake, but there are other testimonies in the body of Christ that you've gone through trials and the church of Jesus Christ has risen to the occasion and assisted and walked with you through the fire. That's what we're here for. And you know what? We grow together when that happens. It's terrible that those things do happen, but when they do, we've got to understand God is still in control. First Peter chapter five, verse 10 says this, after you suffered a little while, The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. John chapter 16 is awesome. It says this, you will be in verse 20. It says you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. And verse 33 says Jesus words. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. You'll have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome it. And by overcoming it, I mean all of it. That's what Jesus is getting at. So you say, well, pastor, he doesn't know what a miscarriage is like or a church on fire or shooting or a this or a that. Yes, he does. He was in our body, in our humanness here on this world. He was betrayed. He was by a friend, not a stranger. He walked through this life of temptation and hurt. He understands and he overcame it. The Bible also says in Revelation that we can overcome by his work on the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ, and by the word of our mouth, our testimony, my testimony that God brought me through that trial. And if, listen to me, church, if we made it through that, I'll make it through this. That's the point. When the Israelites were walking around the wilderness and they decided to stop and park for a while, when they did that and when God showed up in different areas or different times, what they did was build an altar of remembrance. And every single time that altar of remembrance is mentioned in any place, it says this, so that when anyone passes near here in the future... They'll be able to tell their children, this is where God met me. 
This is where God brought his people out. This is where God gave victory at Jericho. This is where God... Because you've got to remember. The trials you've endured have been hard. But your God is big. Amen. Number four is this. Go grow together through godly examples. God uses human instruments to help us grow. He really does. He truly does. Um, if I said the word iron, I bet 10 of you at least could finish that phrase from the Bible. Iron sharpens iron. And it's talking about us. As people sharpening one another, being in relationship with one another. And we need to look to godly examples, leaders and influencers in the church. Those godly examples help us develop and mature in our faith. And as a result, we grow together. First Corinthians chapter 11 verse 1 says this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I could have said that about myself for the one thing that I did pray for when I felt like I needed to. But I don't want you to imitate my failure of how I didn't pray when I was supposed to. I'm not perfect. You and I, you are not perfect. But you should think about it in terms of this. Everyone is watching you. They're watching me. And they they should be able to imitate our faith with good results. Amen. Number five is this grow together through fellowship. Fellowship is more than just hanging out. It's great that you go out to lunch or dinner with your friend or, you know, two, two couples, you know, go hang out together. Or you bring your kids over and play with my kids and we have time together. That's good and wonderful. And we want that. I'm not downing that at all. I'm also not saying that every time you get together in some way or atmosphere or environment that it has to only be about God. But I'm telling you that the focus of our fellowshipping is to love one another and to exalt God. Amen. So be bold. I mean, they're your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ. Ask. Ask and say, you know, how's your relationship with God going these days? Be vulnerable. Maybe you ask that question and you end up saying, you know, mine's not all all the best it could be. Really need some prayer. Struggling with my fill in the blank. Finance, career, person in your house, whatever it is. Have that moment of connection where you are fellowshipping but yet exalting Jesus. What has God been showing you lately? What's he been speaking to you? That that kind of approach will uh, put a spotlight, for one. It'll put a spotlight on the person, but it also gets turned around back to you. Because conversationally, you have to then entertain that conversation and say, Well, you know, I haven't really heard from him all that much lately. I've been reading, but... You know, I could really, I feel like I'm a little bit further away than I should be. That is how you grow. That's how you grow. Let me give you a warning thought though. I'm going to shoot this and uh, I don't care who it hits. And that is this. 
Don't let your time together be a whine about your wife session or a husband hating session. Don't let it just be a venting session. Okay. That's a lot of shotgun fodder that's out there right now. Just don't let it be a venting session. Let it be productive. Listen, if somebody is venting to me and maybe they didn't open up with the, hey, what's God speaking to you and that kind of thing. And maybe I don't know the verse that I need to call to mind. Thank God for these things. Sometimes I can say, you know what? I think there is a verse about this. Uh, let me just look this up and, and just very quickly turn it to a moment of fellowshipping that exalts Jesus. That doesn't make you weird or kooky. It doesn't make you some kind of a nut job, religious nut job. What it makes you is a Christian. So grow together, but don't, don't, don't hang out with those who bash their spouse and their family. Don't make a habit of that because you will find yourself doing the very same thing. Missionary dating doesn't work. Missionary friendships often don't either. Hebrews chapter 10 says about growing together in fellowship. It says this, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That means we should be hanging out a whole lot because Jesus is coming back. I'm holier when I hang out with you. Because I'm sharpened by you. Because we're talking about Jesus. Because we're investing in ministry or time and thought about how to reach others. We are doing things that help us grow together. And the sixth one is this. Grow together through serving in the house. The strongest teams that ever get talked about in the military. Like our special operators, uh, special forces, things like that. The strongest teams are not the ones who just met in some barracks, said, hi, my name's Bill, hi, my name's John, and jumped on a helicopter. The strongest teams are those who've actually committed to serve together, and they found themselves in the trenches somewhere, and there's been a firefight, and they've gone through trials together, and yet they still wake up the next day by God's grace and choose to serve again. That makes a strong team. And I thought about that in relation to the church, that we we grow together when we choose to serve in the house together. If there's an opportunity to serve, put yourself in the spot. Find what you're good at. We'll help you do that. And then help us grow together as you serve on the team. Great churches are filled with humble servants who just at some point in their past said yes to Jesus and then said yes to the family of God. And then all of a sudden, years later, you find they've grown together. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. I'm sure you have. The married couples who stay together for a really long time, they say eventually you start looking like one another. Have you guys heard that? I don't know scientifically how to prove that, but I've seen anecdotal evidence in my life of people's, you know, couples being together for a long time. And then you're like, yeah, they really look like they belong together and they look like one another similar. That's what God wants for us. 
in the church, in the body of Christ. He wants us to be serving together so much so and being together so much so that we all start looking like mini Jesuses. Talking about serving, let me share this these two verses uh, before we close. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 and 10 says this, Don't grow weary doing good. For in due season you'll reap if you do not give up. Verse 10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Let us do good to everyone. And what? Especially to those who are in the household of faith. So serve. Don't give up. Sure, breaks are fine, wonderful, but get involved. There is something you can do no matter your limitation, your perceived limitation, your gifting or whatever. There's something that you can do in the body of Christ. And when you do it, you help us grow together. The application that I mentioned, these six different applications today. I really truly believe that the Holy Spirit was speaking throughout this message using not just my words, but his own impression in your heart. So I ask you today, the the main question that I ask you is what area of your life do you need to improve on based on this? Maybe it's love. Maybe it is prayer. Maybe it's uh, serving. It, it could be any of those things and more. But I want you to take a moment today and commit to God and say, God, I'm not doing so hot in this area. Can you help me? I promise you, he will not decline to hear that prayer. If you don't know what it is, you can just pick one of the six. I promise if you improve on any of them, it'll be massive improvement for all of us. God, I pray that you would help us celebrate church, that you would help us as a church, a faith family, to grow together, Lord, into the character and image of Christ, so that as the day draws near, as it comes closer and closer to the day when you return, I pray that you will find us as the beautiful, spotless bride you want us to be. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.